You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. All right, Romans chapter 13 is where we're going first this morning. And uh, there's a saying that when things don't, uh, when you make a mistake or when when things don't go the way that you would uh, like them to be going, um, and and I should ask Adam, is that recording the video? It's going, okay, just want to make sure, Um, that it could be worse. So I have a... A could-be-worse type of scenario this morning. Um, And that is, I walked out of the house with the flash drives still in my desktop computer. I did not realize that, obviously, until I got here. And I reached into my pocket to get the flash drives out, to put one in my computer, the one going to the computer back there so we could have our PowerPoint. And, uh, of course, I... I don't do notes in the sense of typing them out anymore because why I got them all right up here, you know, why, why duplicate, you know, type of thing. So this morning, um, we have no notes. I have no notes. <laughs> but that's okay because I'm accustomed to that. So it could be worse. Um, it could be worse in the sense that if I were was a person who was... Uh, totally dependent upon what was written down without having a comfortable enough recollection of what I wrote down, I would be up here quivering in my shoes. Um, I am not quivering. Uh, At least I'm hiding it pretty good. (laughs) But I'm sure that you have, uh, it could be worse scenarios in your life as well. Uh, But those happen and you got to move on. And here we are, and we're still together around God's Word, and we're still in Romans chapter 13, and we're still looking at walking in the will of God. And this series that we're in, in 2820, is focusing on that phrase in the New Testament, walking, um, walking in particular ways. And all of these expressions of walking uh, are direct statements and exhortations regarding walking in the will of God. This is the will of God. And so while it might not say walking in the will of God in each of the verses, uh, this is what God wants for us. And we have also emphasized and will continue to emphasize so that each time we come to a passage, uh, refreshing in our understanding that walking, peripateo is talking about the course, the way, the conduct of our life. And so when the scriptures talk about walking, it's talking about how we live life how we go about living life. And God is telling us through all of these expressions how it is we are to be conducting our lives, how it is we are to be living our lives. This is God's will. And so we've looked at a few already this morning in Romans chapter uh, 13, beginning in verse 13. Uh, He uses this expression, let us walk, peripateo, let the course, the conduct of my life, your life as a believer, let us walk properly. Uh, in some of your translations, it may say circumspectly. That's a little bit older English word uh, in the sense of it, it's not in use like it used to be. 
Uh, it's, you still see it, but uh, it used to be more widely used than it has been for, well, in my growing up years. Um, when I was uh, being raised as a child, I never heard, nor did I ever hear anyone, any other parent address their child and say to them, uh, act circumspectly, you know, or you're not acting circumspectly. You know, if they said that, we'd kind of what in the world are you talking about? We know that we're not doing something right because the way that you're saying it, the way that it's packaged, but what is circumspectly? Um, and so what, what is this word properly, circumspectly? Um, it's talking about living a way that is, it, it's, it's a broad and general word. It means that which is befitting, becoming, um, that which is proper, that which is correct, um, and so it's, it's a broad, general type term, and as you look at the context, it, it uh, gives some specific understanding of what Paul is talking about in a broader term. Uh, depending on the situation, the context, the setting you're in, properly can have different connotations. Uh, what's proper for uh, showing up at... Uh, at a presidential event, the President of the United States, there's protocol there. There's ways that you conduct yourself that are different, that are proper for that setting in that situation, uh, that are not required elsewhere or expected elsewhere. So the context can help understand what properly means. So it's a broad term, but we fit it into the context in which it's being used. So in verse 13, it says, let us walk properly. So God has particular ideas in mind for what that is and what it isn't. And so now let's start down this path of seeing what he says in this context um, about that. Uh, he says, let us walk properly as in the day. Now, if that's all you read, we'd rightfully be scratching our head and saying, okay. What does that mean exactly? Do we get to have something of a mad imagination field trip and just kind of attach our own ideas as to what that means? And you look in the context here, um, in verse 12, verse 11, it says, And do this, knowing uh, the time, that now is a high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. In other words, that, that part of our salvation, which is our glorification, uh, <clears throat> it's nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness. And so Paul's using these metaphorical expressions to lead us into some particular um, statements, some particular specific understandings of what light is, what darkness is, as far as lifestyle is concerned. And let us put on the armor of light. So again, he's using a metaphor of putting armor on. Um, and it's called the armor of light. So it, it's that which we use when we go into uh, battle, that which we put on when we are uh, on the job as, uh, as someone who is putting on armor, whatever context that is in, the armor of light. So then that's when he says, let us walk properly as in the day. Now, here we get into some particulars. Not in revelry. You know what revelry is? 
partying. Partying. We're going to party. We're going to go party. He's not talking about the general idea of just, you know, having a genuinely sincere good time. He's talking about revelry. And in, in the 21st century, it's let's come together, let's party, let's get our alcohol in its various forms, let's get it there, and let's partake, and let's get the, uh, the effects of the alcohol into our system, and let the good times roll as the inhibitions drop. Let's get the drugs in place, the various kind of drugs, and let's get those in the mix. Um, let's get the right kind of music going, and then the, the right kind of of conversation, the right meaning not righteous, but the right kind of conversation that fits partying, which usually is coarse and um, full of innuendo. Um, and that's not all that it is, but it's developing a whole context, context of partying, just going out and getting slammed and drunk. Uh, well, it gets drunk in the next expression, but it's partying. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I picked up a couple uh, of ladies and a man, and they were going to a very nice house here in Louisville. I mean, it was a very nice neighborhood, very nice house, and they were going there to party. They were talking about it on the way. And so these people had money, and they dressed like they had money, and they were going to a place. I picked them up at a nice place. They were going to another nice place, and everybody was going there. There were lots of cars there. They were going there to revelry. They were going there to party. And then route, they were talking about what they were going to do on New Year's Eve, the two ladies. They invited the young man to come along because we're going to go out and we're going to drink and we're going to get slammed. We're going to drink as much as we can drink and just, you know, let the evening roll and what happens, happens. You know, that's, that's what they were saying. That's what they were talking about. That's revelry. There's nothing new. This is first century. They did that in the first century. And it probably looked a little bit different. The buildings looked different. Maybe how they went about it was a little bit different, but they were partying. And Paul says, walking properly does not include partying. That is not of the Holy Spirit. That is not the new life that we have. That is not for the believer. That is not for the follower of Christ. We don't party. We don't get involved in revelry. has nothing to do with genuine, sincere fun and enjoyment and genuine pleasure. Because there would be those who say, well, you know, Christians, they don't party. They don't have any fun. Well, fun means you have to get slammed and drunk and you lose your inhibitions and all kinds of sin flows from that. No, that's from the sinful nature. That's from the corrupt, sinful nature and the desires that flow from it. That's what revelry is. So there's nothing new under the sun. They were partying in the first century, and we party in the 21st century. I mean, you can read clear accounts of what that was like, and it was filled with wine and the various alcohols that they had. We have, we have enhanced the variety of alcohols today. We have really advanced, right? <laughs> we have more and greater kinds of alcohol and more and greater kinds of drugs. We have advanced. We can party at a higher level now. 
But at the core of it, it's the same. Go, get drunk, and feed a lot of times your, your sexual corruption, the sexual appetites that have been corrupted by sin. Now, I'll just pause here for a second. Because there's nothing inherently wrong with sexual appetites. Why? Because God created human beings with sexual appetite. We often, the scriptures talk about sexual immorality. But do you know that they also talk about sexual morality? There is sexual morality because sex is that which God has created and he's created it to be that which is pleasant, but to be experienced within the context and relationship of marriage. And with the uh, other person in mind, with sin and corruption, with the essence of sin is selfishness. So when it comes to sexual appetites, guess what happens? It all gets self-oriented. We're, we're more concerned about satisfying ourselves first and foremost. And then all kinds of uh, sexual immorality flows from that. That's part of revelry. That's, that's part of the context here. And, and that flows out in some subsequent uh, expressions. So revelry is kind of a broad term, and he says, and drunkenness. He says, that's not walking properly. That's improperly. It's not for the follower of Christ to get drunk, period. That's sin. So we're being told what it isn't at this point, and not in lewdness. That's a, a Greek term that's talking about a, a wide variety of sexual expression and thought, whether it's physical expression, whether it's verbal expression, whether it's thought, lewdness, lewd, sexually immoral thoughts, desires, uh, expressions, communication, and physical action, lewdness, and lust. The word lust, epithumia, simply means strong desires. And sometimes in the, in the New Testament scriptures, it's used in a totally legitimate way of having strong desires for God. So the word emphasizes having strong desires, but again, sin corrupts everything, and so those good and godly desires get corrupted by our, our selfishness, and then we start to uh, satisfy those strong desires in selfish ways that are contrary to the will and way of God. So lust, and lewdness and lust, not in strife. So now he's, he's going in a little bit different direction when he talks about strife. He's, he's argumenting. It's um, fighting. Um, that's not proper. As followers of Christ, we're, we're not to go down that path of strife. That's definitely an expression of the flesh, the sinful nature. And envy, desiring that which other people have, you're envious of it. And then that leads directly into being discontent. Discontent with who we are, discontent with what we have or don't have. Discontent with uh, our situation in life. Uh, envying someone else um, for a variety of things. Um, he says, that's not part of what God has 
Paul says, I have learned the secret of contentment. Whether I have much or whether I have little, I have learned the secret of contentment. Envy is the enemy of contentment. So I'm content not to have my flash drives this morning. <laughs> I've been out of shape. <laughs> I know that's a silly illustration. Um, but <clears throat> I could be envious of those who never forget anything. And I wish I could lay it on to my age, but I can't. Because I know an awful lot of teenagers and children who forget. Oh, I forgot. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> so I, I take some sol solace in that in that, hey, forgetting stuff is not uh, unique to getting older. Um, anyway, it says, verse 14, do this. But in contrast to those, so uh, do this. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is it is not revelry, it is not drunkenness, it is not lewdness, it is not uh, lust, strong sinful desires, it is not strife, it is not envy or enviousness. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ isn't that. The word but is a word that's focusing on contrast, strong contrast. So in strong contrast to that which we are not to be and not to participate in, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and watch this, in putting him on, make no provision for the, what? Flesh. That's just a pretty practical statement. Because as uh, still possessing a sinful nature, we tend to want to make, put ourselves in situations where, uh, if we're not careful, we are making provision for the flesh to act out the flesh. And so there's, there's a very clear exhortation here, be intentional about not putting ourselves in situations mentally, emotionally, physically, to where we are making provision for the flesh to be strongly enticed and to entice us into sinful behavior. Uh, put ourselves in those situations where it is making provision for putting on the righteousness of Christ. So make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust, its desires. And so we don't want to be, as a follower of Christ, one thing we want to do in putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is, is intentionally not put ourselves in those situations again, Mentally, emotionally, physically, where it makes it puts us in a very tempting situation, or puts us in a um, situation where temptation would abound. We are not to make provision for that. And obviously, in context here, don't go to parties. Not even you know you could say, well, I'm going to go to the parties because, well, Jesus was accused of being a wine-bibber. So that means that he hung out with partiers. So therefore, 
I'm going to go to parties and hang out with partiers so that I can be a witness. I've heard that before in similar strains. And really, what, what, what is that person saying? I want a party. <laughs> I'm just putting a spiritual facade to it. Um, so don't be putting, don't be making provision for the flesh. And so that's, that's what he's getting at when he says, let us walk properly. Let us walk in a manner that is appropriate to being a follower of Christ. That, that's God's will for us. That's the course and conduct of our life. So we make those choices daily. To walk properly, becomingly, as is fitting for a believer. Now I want to take us to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And this is a, uh, a fascinating portion of Scripture. Verse 17 is where we begin. And I'm going to uh, use a couple of the translations here. The one I normally use, the New King James Version. And then also um, the Christian Standard Bible. Um, verse 17, it says, But as God has distributed to each one... As the Lord has called each one, so let him walk, and so I ordain in all the churches. Let me read it from the Christian Standard Version. Before I do that, though, um, but as God has distributed to each one, who's doing the distributing here? God. Okay. And as the Lord has called each one. So who's who's still the one who's doing the initiating, the one who is in control here? God. So let him walk, peripateo. Let him remain. And so I ordain Paul says, I ordain. This, this is a rule of life to follow in all the churches. This is for everybody. Okay, now let me come to, uh, first, uh, to the Christian Standard Bible. It says, let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. And you'll see how that, you know, what Paul's driving at as he continues on in the next verses. Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. So I want us to understand what's being said here, and then I want us to talk about this a little bit. Back to the New King James Version. Was anyone called while circumcised? So what's he talking about there? Hmm? Yeah, were, were, were you a Jew? Were you circumcised? Were you Jewish when you were called? Let him not become uncircumcised. In other words, the truth of the gospel 
that Paul taught is that circumcision has no bearing whatsoever on justification. And so obviously there was a strain of thought that some were articulating and some were being somewhat disposed toward that, okay, I'm Jewish and I know now that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ and circumcision counts nothing. I'm going to undo the circumcision. Now, I have no idea how that works um, and really not interested in knowing. <laughs> but nevertheless, Paul says, don't go down that path. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. In other words, he's saying, you know, don't try to adjust your, your situation um, because you think it would fit more with, with what your perception of what God would want in your life. Um, verse 19, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. So he's saying, listen, you're, you're focused on the wrong things here. What really matters is that you focus on the commandments of God, the actual commandments of God, and keeping them. And that's one reason why we're focusing on these exhortations to walk in particular ways. These are the commands of God. This is what we need to focus on as far as the will of God is concerned, is living life the way that he's commanded us to live life, walk in these particular ways. And in this context, he's, he's saying walk and continue to live in, in the situation in which you were called to faith in Christ. Verse 20, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. The same situation in which he was called. Let me read it here. Uh, let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. And a similar thing is stated there. Verse 22, uh, verse 21, were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. So, in the New Testament era, there was a large portion of the population that were, was on some level of servitude. Some were what we would think of in our modern terms as slaves. They were owned. They were property. Others were paid servants, but they were servants, and so they fit under this broader class of slaves. Uh, but they were paid for their services, like someone who would be a tutor or a teacher for someone's child. They would pay that tutor, that teacher, but they were considered a servant, okay? And so that's... Uh, part of the mix here, but definitely a real part of the mix was those who were actual slaves. They were owned by a master. And they were what we understand as slaves. So it's a fascinating statement here and a fascinating window on the first century and a fascinating window on how as Christians, we are to think about these kinds of situations. He says, if you can be made free, 
by all means, go for it in a legitimate manner. If, if that opportunity for freedom is there for you, access it and use it for the glory of God. Verse 22, for he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. So Paul's using a play on words here, but he's saying, you're a slave, whether you're a paid servant or a slave, and you came to Christ while you were a paid servant or a slave, and your situation is still the same, you are free in the Lord. And that's the true freedom. You're free from sin. Your life situation hasn't changed, but you now have the greatest freedom, the greatest liberty, and that's the liberty from sin. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. So now he flips it, and he's saying, and, and you're free? You're, you're someone who's not in that situation? You're actually a slave to Christ. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Verse 24, brethren, let each one remain with God in that state or situation in which he was called. Let me read it here. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he was called. I find that fascinating. Because the focus isn't on the individual in me, 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 in my situation. It's on Christ. It's on God. It's on his purposes. And Paul, nor any of the other apostles, for instance, took on the issue of slavery and said, this is morally wrong. It was morally wrong. But they didn't approach it in, in the modern secular attitude toward it. They didn't condone it. But the primary focus isn't our situation. It's on God and his purposes and his working. And so we don't, we don't deal with that in, uh, in our country today. There are those who want to make us feel guilty about that reality in our history as though we should feel presently the guilt of those who practiced that you know, 300 years ago. So there are those who, who try to layer that but that's as close as we come to actually dealing with that situation. But the broader point here is that whatever situation in life that God called us to faith in Christ, remain in that situation in life until God changes it. Fundamentally, that's talking about contentment. Contentment in God, contentment in his providence, contentment in his purposes, contentment in his ways and his workings for the believer. <clears throat> so that's, that's a context of Paul's exhortation there. Now, how, does, how can that apply in the 21st century America? Because this is where God has us living life. This is our situation. 21st century America. We're not in China. We're not in other parts of the world where the culture and the, and, and the setting for life is different, far different than it is here in America. We're not there. We're here. 
So understanding the, the background of what Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 7, we're not going to have to deal with the issue of whether or not a person is a slave or a free uh, or a servant who is being paid but still considered a slave. We're not having to deal with circumcision and uncircumcision, Jewishness, Gentileness, except we're not dealing with those things day in and day out. But the, the exhortation still applies. So what would be some 21st century situations here in, in America? Help me flesh that out. Help flesh out our thinking on this, our understanding of this. Yes? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. That's right. That is true. It doesn't happen a lot, but it's there. And uh, and so, yeah, the, the context that flows from that is talking about if a person is a virgin and how they should understand that. Or you know, So there's interesting discussion about marriage subsequent to this. In America, part of our culture is always moving forward, always seeking to strive to move upward, which is fine. Don't have a problem with that. That's, you know, seeking to... Uh, always become better in, in a wide variety of ways. But can that tend to at times produce uh, an unwarranted discontentment? I mean, I know that's general, but um, if, if we're not careful, then we can bring that way of thinking into what God is doing in our lives and, and, um, and realize that, that God is working and we need to be content with whatever circumstance and situation we find ourselves at any given point in time in life. Um, again, I, I often pick up people who I are bringing uh, to their home from work or I'm taking them to work. And it's not uncommon, it's not with all of them, but it's not uncommon where they are very discontent with their job. You ever hear that? <laughs> For it, but as, as I think about it as a believer, it's like, okay, I may not like the job that I'm in, but is it possible to be content in that job and in that work and thankful for that work and for that job, even while you may be uh, praying about and, and looking to move into a different job? Because God doesn't, God is not the author of discontentment. The authors of discontentment are the authors of other books, but the author of this book calls us to contentment in God's providential care and working in our lives. I just find this a fascinating exhortation that has fascinating implications for us in the 21st century because it says be content with the situation in which God called you to faith in Christ. Contentment. 
And to just meditate on that and think on that, um, it's some fascinating uh, contemplations there. I, I just wanted to introduce you to that idea from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It is there. And as we're told uh, in verse 17, um, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. So whatever situation in life you find yourself, be content. Be content. And if God changes that situation, then step into a different situation. But always, always, always be content. So that's that's our calling. That doesn't always mean that it's easy. But that's our calling. Any other observations, thoughts, or questions? All right, let's pray, and we'll enjoy a break, and then we'll come together around God's Word. This has been an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.